Ooh, hello. Welcome to another episode of Off Air. It's your weekly news and pop culture podcast where Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, pull apart our top three favorite stories of the week. And when I say they're our favorite stories of the week, they're my favorite stories of the week. Nick doesn't know what they are. I surprise him with them, but I tell you what they are before we get into it. So our stories this week, we're doing Trump has COVID and he is milking it for all it's worth. Um, stop harassing women online. That's not me yelling at Trump. That's our story number two. And what the new budget says about our climate future. Now, if you want to get into these topics more with us, uh, jump onto our Facebook group. You can just search off air on Facebook and let us know what you think of them. Uh, otherwise, let's get into it. Tim, Nick, yeah, let's with Nick and Tim. It's real talk. Yeah. It's real walk. This ain't gossip. It's just what we say when we're off air. It's real talk. It's real talk. Just two opinions. We spit what we say. We off air. It's real talk. It's true talk. It's two opinions. We spit what we say yeah. when we off air. Hello, Nick Stewart. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Thanks, Tim. How are you, you little pinko lefty commie down there with <laughs> communist Dan Andrews in your police state? Do you know what? The state boundaries have never been so noticeable as they were today. I like to think of you and I as somewhat intelligent people. And uh, an, an hour ago, I jumped on, set up my microphone, ready to record, sent you a message. Hey, mate, are you jumping on the program? And yeah, it wasn't until- I was like, man, Tim is keen today. He is an hour early. And then I sat back, saw the missed call come through and went, oh, I should probably let him know I live in Queensland. We, we haven't adopted that daylight saving thing here, mate. It'll fade the curtains. The cows will go off the milk. The chickens will go off the lay. We're not about that life up here. You can't be changing your clock at midnight on a Sunday. Where does the hour go, Tim? Where does the hour go? Do you, do you know what I hate about this? I, I hate that I think that you're right, actually. And having lived in Queensland for a period of time, it made so much sense to not change the clocks. But why can't all of Australia just be on the same page about one damn thing? I know. Just, We're the, all over just the, the time. Did you see Western Australia wants to leave us entirely? I love that they came out and apparently 38% of Western Australians are pro-leaving Australia uh, and creating their own country because they feel excluded at the moment. I was like, you are the state that has the strictest borders policies in all of Australia. Like, why do you think you feel excluded at the start of this pandemic? You literally all went into hiding and were like, hey, don't look over here. Do not come here. I didn't see this story, but I think they should do it. Is there any reason why they shouldn't do it? Well, like, it'll financially cripple them. They really they rely on a lot of money from the south, south, like the eastern side of Australia from a governing perspective. They would be very much on their own. It would be a loose, like if, if people in Victoria and New South Wales, and if you're listening, I'm sorry, um, but people in those states think Queensland is loose. Western Australia is like the craziest parts of Queensland are spread across an entire state. But also it's so far, it's so far away because when you're getting into regional radio, like you kind of have to make little deals with yourself about where you would and wouldn't want to get sent to. And for me, I was like, Perth, I'm not going to Perth. It's so far. Anywhere yeah. else you can drive home if you have to. You can really drive well, Queensland, operate- Victoria, New South Wales. It's, it's a day in the yeah. car. Yeah. We can, the thing is, we're talking about the hour of daylight savings throw us out, throwing us out. They literally exist three and a half hours in the past. Like, even as we're recording this, if we lived in Western Australia, it hasn't even happened yet. That's my understanding of how time zones work anyway. <laughs> What's the one place? Is it Adelaide? And they're the only place and they're like a half hour behind? It's not a big enough place to have to warrant seven time zones. I feel like we should have one. I think it has something to do with the latitude and longitude of the world. I don't world. care. <laughs> I don't, I'll take it up with Charles Dow. I don't know who comes up with the times. Greenwich Meridian. <laughs> we'll go to Greenwich. I've had a really wild week so far. So I live on a really quiet street in Bendigo where generally pretty much nothing happens. Um, I've got neighbours on either side, but on the other side of the street, there's nothing. There's just some bush and that kind of goes all the way up to the uni. So there's a lot of empty space on my street. And the other night, Ellie and I were sitting watching TV um, in our living room when all of a sudden we heard this massive bang and we looked out the front window and there was a car that had stopped literally at the front of our driveway. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm speaking maybe five metres from where we were sitting. Yeah. 
there was a car that was stopped and my first thought was, oh my God, did they hit one of our cars somehow? Yeah. And then I, and then I saw in the road sprawled out was a kangaroo who had been hopping around in our street um, and it was hurt by this car. It was really sad. Oh, no. So what happened? Um, so uh, the first thing that I did was, I mean, the car looked a little bit dented, but you could tell that the people were fine. The first thing that I did was jump on and Google animal services mm. and called a lady and told her what had been going on and then um, ran outside and kind of checked on everything. Yeah. Um, the the guys in the car were fine. They were shaken up. They were quite young. They were probably like 20, 21, something like that. And this kangaroo was was badly hurt and it was still definitely alive and was trying to hop around in the street but wasn't able to. Um, it looked like it had a broken leg or something. Basically, this guy rocked up in a big four-wheel drive, had like big flashing amber lights and kind of blocked off the street. And I showed him whereabouts the kangaroo had, had um, hobbled off and it had kind of dragged itself off into the bush right on the other side of our house. Um, which is again, probably 10 meters from our front door. Yeah. Um, and so we then went back inside and it was nighttime. I said, Ellie, do you want to jump in and have, have your shower and, and kind of get ready for bed? Cause I didn't want her to be there sh- right then. She was, um, yeah. she was already quite shaken up by seeing the kangaroo be being so injured. And, um, hmm. and then I watched through the window as the guy, um, got out of his car and, and, put the kangaroo down he shot the kangaroo right outside our house you didn't do it yourself <laughs> it's your street I, th- I thought you would have been like here give me the gun it's time <laughs> it was it was really intense um it was so it was very real and uh ellie had gotten out of the shower and he was kind of packing up his stuff and mm. she was still quite upset and she was saying uh do we know do we know for sure did it have a joey that's what she was most worried about and so yeah. I said, I'll go and I'll, I'll ask the guy. And so I went out again and I was like, hey, mate, sorry, I don't mean to get in your way. I know you're trying to do this. Um, my girlfriend just, she's a bit upset by everything. She wanted to know, does it definitely not have a joey? And he goes, no, it was an adolescent male. Definitely doesn't have a joey. And I'm like, great. Good. And then he jumps and then he jumps in his car, starts the car. And then literally as he's starting to pull out, stops the car, rolls down his window and he goes, your girlfriend's a bit upset, is she? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'll tell you what, I've got something that'll cheer her up. And then he shouts out his address, which is around the corner from from where we live. Okay. <laughs> I know that it sounds like the start of a horror movie. Well, and he was like a dude in his 60s with a gun and a four-wheel yeah. drive. And he's yeah. like, come around to my place. I went inside and I said, Ellie, I've got something that I think is going to cheer you up. <laughs> I said, put your boots on, put your jacket on. And so we jumped in the car. And we drove, he lives like two and a half blocks from our house. Yeah. And which I know was like, even at this point, like, and it's quarter to 11 at night as well. Yeah. Um, It's dark. It's dark. She doesn't know where we're going. She has incredible faith in me, which I don't know if that's deserve it or not. Anyway, we're stopped outside this guy's house. We walk down the driveway. He sees us. He sits us down. And then he pulls out. Nice. This is going to settle your nerves, kids. <laughs> he pulls out a sack, like a like a Hessian sack, and he puts it down on our laps and then slowly opens it up and there are two little baby wombats in there that, he had, that he had rescued um, after their mothers had, had also been um, unfortunately hit by cars. And so we it really turned the whole night around because it was such a dark experience. And I think there's something, especially like, you know, you see kangaroos on highways and stuff, but when you see it literally like in your front yard, mm. um, it was, it was very real. And um, any, anyway, it turned it into a, into a really nice positive experience. So shout out to him. If he listens, I don't remember his name. Could have been I'm Neil. Sure it would be. Yeah. Neil, shout out to you, Neil. Good job with the wombats, mate. That's a lovely story. And it show, it's that kindness of strangers thing, isn't it? And, and showing good faith in people. Yeah. I think it's nice to do sometimes. And do you know, I have a little rule that I kind of try to live my life by a little bit, which is I think that too many people assume that when there's a problem that someone else is going to do something about it. Mm. And, you know, our whole street and, and these young drivers were all involved in this thing. And I'm really glad that I kind of 
made the call, okay, I'm going to make sure that this kangaroo is sorted. I'm going to call the animal services and I'm going to help this guy out. And then it, it turned out to have this huge reward that we got to have this lovely experience. So I think that there's something positive to take from that. Just about kind of engaging with the stuff that's going on around you. That's my yeah. lesson for the week. Life lesson. Good on you, mate. It's lovely. Thanks. Uh, do we have a Nick pick? Do you have a recommendation for us? Yes, I do. Uh, which I'm sure is a surprise to everyone listening. Uh, so, uh, I discovered a new artist. He isn't new to anyone else, but he's on the way up. Uh, his name is Toby Nwigwe, uh, and he has Nigerian parents. Uh, he's a tremendous artist, makes music with his wife. Uh, who I believe is called Fats. They have a big song called Eat and another big song called I'm Dope. Go check them out because they are sensational. Great messages in the music as well, especially around the Black Lives uh, Matter movement. This is a real Nick pick from you. I'm giving it This sounds good. Should I check this out? I'm going to check out your Nick pick. I've never actually listened to your Nick pick once. Wow. Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do it. How did you find this guy? Uh, he just popped up. I don't know. He popped up in my Spotify or somewhere like that. Now I listen to his song Eat, uh, every day before I start work as a little pump up jam. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, we'll we'll put it in the show notes so you'll be able to find it. Um, check the about section in whatever you're listening to us on. Um, cool. Okay. You want to know my Nick pick? Sure. Okay, my Nick pick, uh, all, this is not going to be a huge surprise to a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of people will, will be ahead of me already. But uh, David Attenborough's new documentary has popped up on Netflix. It's called A Life on Our Planet, and it is so incredible. I think it's some of his best work. Have you seen it, firstly, Nick? I'm saving it for this weekend, actually, because it came out on Sunday night. So I've, I've, I'm leaving it fresh, and I want to sit down and enjoy it because it's his full mm-hmm. 93 years, and it's how the world's changed. and. I didn't expect, plot twist, did not expect him to be so pro-fracking. Really into coal seam gas. Turns out it's a dirty little secret. He's not into fracking. That's the opposite of the point of the documentary. Um, what I love David Attenborough. I've seen probably most of his documentaries, if not all of them. I see them. At, like I love watching them. I'm a big kind of animal nerd person. Um what I like about this is normally he stays very objective. Mm. I would say in his last series life, there was like a little slither at the end of each episode that was about the animals and then about the impact that humans have had on their environment. But mostly his documentaries are just about the animals, whereas this is all about, I mean, it's one big thing. It's one organism, our planet, and we are a huge impact on that. So this is the first time that I think he really lets loose and actually shares his opinion on what's going on, not just interesting facts about the animals and their habitats and their lives. Well, I got to say, I'm pro-humans and humans are winning. I mean, out of all the animals, we are kicking ass. We are really subjecting the world to ourselves and I salute us. I don't know if you're going to say that after you watch. Watch the documentary. I'm going to listen to your song Eat and you're going to watch the documentary and we'll check in. Longer commitment. Okay, I was already going to do it. So that's fine. We can do it. Story number one. They all have COVID. So Nick, after months of attending maskless rallies, Donald Trump has tested positive to COVID-19. In the pursuing days now, like half of his camp seems to have it. Melania Mm. Trump has it. Uh, his campaign manager, Bill Stepien, has it. Press Secretary Kaylee McKenney has it. And uh, former White House advisor Kellyanne Conway have it. There is so much to unpack here. This is a huge story. Uh, firstly, just to begin, Nick, what did you think when you first saw the news? Oh, I don't know. I was taken aback, to be honest. I mean, at some point it was bound to happen. I think what surprised me more uh, is how quickly everyone else had it as well. But that's the nature of this. It's a highly contagious thing. And what didn't surprise me is his attitude of just going immediately back to work. I think he spent two days in hospital and he was like, stuff this. Did his, the thing is everything he does is such a movie. Like Mm. the, the filming of him taking the helicopter, uh, I believe it's called Marine one back to the white house and coming out on the lawn with the mask. And then the unveiling of his face really reminded me of Pauline Hanson pulling off the burqa for the first, <laughs> for the first what, what a great poem. moment in Australian history. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but it, did, it reminded me the way he just sort of rips the mask off. And then he was like, you know, COVID don't let it get you down. Don't let it ruin your everyday life, which yeah. is exactly what you should do. 
you should let it ruin your everyday life for two weeks. I think, you know, a lot's been said about this already and it's all happened within the past week since we recorded the last podcast. But I think one of the crazier things is who was driving the car in his motorcade hours after he tested positive to COVID? Yeah, yeah. There were, there was actually a lot of, and, and this is the thing about this story is there are so many different parts of it to unpack. So uh, if you haven't seen it, then I think it was, Literally two days after um, he tested positive and he was still in the hospital, he decided to do a publicity stunt from the hospital where he took a motorcade and they drove around the block so that his supporters who were outside the hospital could like see him through the window of a car. Which and- is a serious Benito Mussolini dictator stuff. Like they have to physically see me to believe I'm alive. It was one of the most fucked things that I've seen though, because uh, I, I read a, I, I read, I mean, it wasn't a tweet. I, I don't know what it was. It was a post by an ex-serviceman, an ex-secret serviceman um, who said that we in the secret service used to judge the people that we protected based on whether or not they would schedule important things around holidays Um because it would mean that uh, the secret servicemen would then have to obviously be away from their family during things mm-hmm. like Christmas, because anything that you do when you're the president has an impact on the like 30 people who have to follow you around everywhere for your safety. Yeah. And they wrote that this was just taking it to the next level, that now the latest litmus test was, do you care if I die of COVID? Because Trump deciding to leave the hospital to go for a joyride literally put that entire Secret Service staff at risk. I mean, that was just how weird. Oh, the whole thing's been weird, though. I mean, but it's been the American response to it, hasn't it? Like, since the start of this pandemic, every other country has at least tried to feign some level of interest in social distancing and self-isolation. Mm. Where America the whole time has been like... It's a Chinese flu for old people and, and they just push through. Like we still saw giant parties all across Florida. We still saw, uh, you know, spring break go crazy. People still attending college football games and high school football games. They haven't slowed down at all. And, and that's what their president has now done. Like Boris Johnson and Boris Johnson from all accounts got far more sick, uh, the prime minister of England, but he was bedridden and basically like yeah. did did broadcast from his uh, study in his bedroom, self-isolating and trying to at least pretend to be a half-decent human, whereas Donald Trump's like, yeah, I have COVID. Maybe I'm immune now. Who knows? Uh, Fucking doctors, mate. That's who knows. Stay in the medical center. Stop infecting other people. Yeah. So when you say stop infecting other people, that implies uh, that he definitely does have it. And there are so many yeah. different theories floating around. The first one that caught my eye was uh, this. I saw this get posted literally the day that it was announced um, saying that this is a perfectly timed publicity stunt. Uh, it means that they were probably going to have to cancel the second debate, which I think it would would be a good idea from Trump's camp because there's discussion about turning the microphones off now, um, yeah. which would totally crush Trump's whole campaign. Um I think, and, I think you're leaning too far. I got to be honest with you, man. I think you're leaning too far to the left there. Like, like okay. it, I don't think it would crush his debate. I think you are overestimating the competency of yeah. Joe Biden and the competency of the American people. Like, okay. I don't, I do not think that Joe Biden came out of that first debate a winner. I think if anything, no. his, his supporters would have been really disappointed in the entire experience and the entire experience of democracy in America at the moment. I, oh, I'm not, I'm not I agree. Saying, no, no, I don't think, I don't think that the, the first debate made Biden look particularly good. It was just a shouting match, but it definitely didn't make it didn't, it, there was no winner because they no. weren't debating each other. No, but the, the debate aside, it, uh, it definitely slows down the possibility of a second debate, Trump having COVID and, mm. Um, it meant that Trump, who basically just lives off media coverage, has had the most media coverage that I would say he's had so far from this. I mean, yeah. I've I've been Googling Trump and checking for news updates, and that's something that I don't normally do. I think that it has put his name right at the top of the headlines, and that's how he wins these things. So as soon as I saw um, a post by a, a news publication with that theory, 
I went, well, that's a really interesting theory. And you know me, I hate conspiracy theories, but I, I, I mean, this is a guy who he's a great publicist. So do you think that he really has it? Or yeah, had it? I, no, hundred percent. I'm not that cynical. I think, um, I, but but also, I guess I'm more cynical because I, because if it was being used as a publicity stunt, he would have gone harder. Like if it was used as a publicity stunt, it would have been this huge thing of uh, three days of Donald Trump's really run down and like broken man and blah 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 blah, and then he's overcome it and risen through the ashes and all of that stuff, or he's got some sort of cure. Like I think. This was, I think, you know, some things in the world just happen. This is a highly contagious disease. He's been exposing himself to so many people and his staff have been exposing themselves to so many people. And we know America has no handle on this whatsoever. No, it would be Um, everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So I just think it was time. I think it was due. I understand the suspicion around uh, the timing. Uh, but again, I think that Trump's camp would welcome a second debate, even if they turn the mics off. He'll still yell. He'll still yeah. shout. He'll still interrupt Joe Biden. Joe Biden will still be standing six feet from him. He'll bring uh, a megaphone. Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I do think he definitely has it because I go, well, if you didn't have this and you were making the whole thing up, A, you got to keep a lot of people quiet. And there's already doctors from that hospital who've come out against Trump, <laughs> like for leaving yeah. the hospital. So... How do you keep those people quiet? And B, I think he would have made a big deal out of it. Like, because you look at Boris Johnson actually got a, a level of sympathy through the entire process because people yeah, were just definitely worried he was going to die for a period of time there. Yeah. And people uh, thought that for Trump as well for the first 24 hours. And there were stories saying how dangerous his vital signs were in the first 24 hours. Donald's and he's 103. <laughs> he lives on a diet of fillet of fish. I don't think that grows the healthiest lungs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, do you do you think that it could possibly be a PR stunt? I do. I do think that it could possibly be a PR stunt. I mean, we're talking about somebody who a PR stunt is not an alien thing for him. No. And for me, I, I mean, you already brought it up, but the cavalcade car that drove him around the block, he literally did a PR stunt within it. I mean... The, <laughs> I think that that, to me, spoke volumes about where his priorities were at. If the priority was about health, then it would have just been a quiet week, you know, or a quiet few days. But the fact that first the story was his vitals were dangerously low. Within 24 hours, he was uh, putting videos out from the hospital, still Mm. in a suit and tie and, and, you know, looking presidential. Um, within 24 hours of that, he was doing laps around the block. And then... Oh, you where he uh, didn't have a time and he was signing his name on blank pieces of paper for a photo shoot and getting briefed on... Uh, did, you see, did you see this, how he did a photo shoot? No, I didn't see this. No. <laughs> With no tie on and he's, it's, it's him. Uh, and it, he put out a tweet. It's like still, you know, I'm in the hospital, but I'm still being briefed on uh, military affairs. With uh, Donald Trump has, has famously said he does not like to be briefed on anything. And then the second one was him sitting at a desk, signing a blank sheet, signing his name on a blank sheet of paper. On a blank paper. Yeah, yeah. Someone Just fill in the rest paper. around it. Just put whatever you think is good. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah, care. I'm about to uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it. Um, I think it definitely could be a publicity thing. Um, and and then I think like the timelines just don't necessarily add up. I mean, this is a 74 year old man who, if he was really truly sick, he wouldn't have been feeling so much better within 24 hours, I don't think. Uh, He left the hospital within like, I think it was three days. Um, And now he's tweeting. I mean, his tweets have already been taken down by Twitter and Facebook um, for breaching (laughs) their protocol. That one? Or was it pro-life vote? Which one was it? When he (laughs) sent off 18 tweets in a row that were just words and then the word vote, which he shouldn't be encouraging people to vote. If anything, he should be encouraging. He should be like, you know, lines could be big. You should probably stay at home. I think the more people in America that vote, the more trouble he is in as a person. So, especially as a presidential candidate. So, I don't know why he's got so pro-vote all of a sudden. I don't, yeah. No, the tweets that were removed were, were the ones that he said, I feel 20 years younger and Americans should get out there and not be afraid of COVID. They have breached oh, right. the Facebook and Twitter yeah. uh, codes uh, because they minimize how dangerous COVID is. And I mean, this is a man who is uh, leading a country that has had 210,000 deaths in the last few months. 
that's the thing. He's just, I, I hate to say it, but he's just a dickhead. And that's exactly what a 74 year old dickhead that grew up worshiping, um, you know, Ronald Reagan and grew up worship, worshiping those spaghetti Western US TV stars. Like it, 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 if you should just apply the rule to Donald Trump, what do you think Donald Trump would think um, that a spaghetti Western star would do? Like, what do you think Donald Trump thinks John Wayne would do if John Wayne got coronavirus? Yeah. And he would rise from, like, he'd rise from his hotel bed and be like, nothing can kill me. <laughs> nothing. Okay, I'm going to use that. I'm going to apply that rule the next time Trump does anything, and we'll see yeah. if it works. <laughs> Story number two. Stop harassing women. A study came out this week, Nick, that found that 65% of young Australian women, so this is aged between 15 and 25, had experienced some sort of harassment online. The study was international and uh, looking at the different countries' averages, ours was higher than the global average. The global average was 58% of women, ours was 65, so a 7% higher. Crazy considering that our internet speeds are below Ethiopia. <laughs> Yeah. It takes longer to harass women in any in this country more so than any other country in the world online. Well, you could really, there's a lot of bang for your buck. You got to make sure that the messages are to the point. <laughs> we shouldn't be joking about this so early on. Nick, why do you think that there's so much sexist aggression online? It's a great question. I think, again, you and I woefully qualified to discuss this, uh, you know, being two uh, cis, straight white males. Uh, that said, my girlfriend, uh, I should say my fiance, Jazz, has definitely experienced online harassment at least once or twice from men. Um, I don't know. It's the whole faceless thing. I think in Australia, it, it's a real it's a real anonymous thing. I can't say I've ever done it. So it's really hard for me to relate to these guys that like sending a dick pic. I, I fucking mm. don't understand it in the slightest. I've never sent one in my life, especially not an unsolicited one. I was having a conversation with a girl the other day who received an unsolicited dick pic from a, from a coworker of hers. Um, wow. And I was like, how do you in your brain go from having a normal conversation with someone about what they did on the weekend to, to like, you know what I'm going to throw out there? My penis. Um <laughs> I, I I don't know why this is such a big problem in our country, but it 100% is. Yeah, it 100% is. I want to circle back to um, the first thing that you said, which is I think a thought that a lot of people would have when they uh, are joining this conversation with us. And the first thing that you said is, you know, this is something that, of course, we as two straight white dudes are not necessarily um, the best people to be talking about. To, to be talking about this topic. And the first thing that I want to say is I actually really disagree with you on that. Um, and I think that this is something that tends to happen a lot in the media and in, and in our society is that very often we look at these problems and we classify them and we say that only the people who are victims of those problems should be discussing them. So in this situation, it's very easy to hear this problem and go, well, this is a women's problem. So, you know, maybe a women's podcast should be talking about it. And to that, I 100% disagree because the problem is not the women. The problem is the men. Like, I don't, we, we don't have the, the numbers in front of us saying who's doing the harassment, but I would take a very strong guess that the problem is men sending these messages. Um, and so I think that it's a conversation that more men need to be involved in because we need to start figuring out why the hell dudes are behaving this way. And I think that we as men, and especially men who are involved in the media, um, we should be having vocal conversations about why it needs to stop. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we should be having this conversation. I agree with you, though, that I personally, I don't quite have i i don't wrap my head around it um it's not something that i've ever done before um and and the same for the dick pic thing like the whole unsolicited dick pic it's not something that i can understand have you ever been around somebody who who has done it or who has shared that act with you no but i'm not i don't think they do i don't well i don't know it's a uh, uh, i don't think that they I reckon there's a lot of silence and shame involved in this and it's yeah. a real online thing. I think there probably is a bit of a bro culture, but you and I aren't 
you know, we're not really part of that world. <laughs> I think we're but I think we are. See, I think, I mean, I definitely have like bro-y relationships with a lot of my male friends. I don't, um, I don't, I don't have a lot, like I have uh, conversations with people I choose to hang around, but I don't, I think a lot of that comes from like old high school ties and things like yeah. that as well Is like, you've got your mates, you know, that you've always been mates with and blah, blah, is a bit of a dickhead, but you still keep him around because you've been mates since high school. Mate, I cull people like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, I cull right. people like that guy that shot the kangaroo out the front of your house. If I, <laughs> if I, if I don't think it, and it doesn't matter if you have a different opinion to me, that's okay. Yeah. But if I think that you're you're not going to add value to my life in any way, I'm not going to spend my time talking with you because I don't need to. I don't I don't have to have those conversations. There's eight billion people in the world. I'm sure I'm going to find other people that I that I that I get along better with that challenge my views in a in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So I can't say. I think back maybe when I was in my early twenties, I was maybe around this a little bit more, but never being sexually aggressive towards women. Mm. Um, and, and it's, and to, to, to further the point you made earlier, it's not that I don't think we should be talking about it. I think the best way to combat these things is is through, um, getting an emotional response from someone and it's through getting, building a sense of empathy with these guys to show what their actions are on computers actually translate to real world. And I can't personally do that because I can't speak from experience on this issue. I've experienced personal violence online and I've never, I've never experienced sexual prejudice to be honest either. And these are the things that are becoming prolific online. I think it's also interesting that there's, there's a real like semi culture around it. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of like without typecasting, I mean, there's there's all these uh, reality TV stars that get messages from overseas uh, being asked to send bobs and vagine pics. Left, right, center. Like, does that qualify or is that a cultural different thing? The study that I've found says that 40% of the harassment is from people at school or work. So, again, that age bracket yeah. was uh, 15 to 25. So, uh, yeah, 40% school or work. So, I, th- those obviously aren't those international messages. 29% said that it was from a friend and 16% said that it was from a former partner. So I can't do the math of that off the top of my head. 29 plus 16, what's that? 35 plus 40. Uh, so 75. So 75% of these messages are from people who exist in people's lives already. Um, it's a very strange thing. It's it's a very strange thing. I, I don't understand where that anger comes and I don't understand what the um what the end goal is from sending I mean like I mean these are sexually violent messages and I've seen I actually saw one of them this week when this story came out a friend of mine who I'm not going to name on Facebook a woman um she posted a post about this and shared a screenshot that she'd received that week from a a message from somebody and it was calling her um, a dumb slut from somebody who was in her life. I love, can I just say most powerful thing you can do, share the screenshot share with it. the guy's name and photo in it. Please, yeah. please don't be afraid to do that because people like you and I sitting out there will literally be like, good. I'm glad they had the courage to do that. And it's not, and I'm not saying that if you don't have the courage to do, to do that, you're a bad person because again, it, it, going back to that victim blaming culture, whatever you do as a victim of this situation is okay. And you need to process it any way you can. But if, if you do feel like you're in a position where you do feel safe and comfortable to share those fucking do it, man, those yeah. people deserve, there, there was a story in the news recently about a guy on Tinder who was, uh, sending sexually aggressive messages to women and, and the, the just deplorable language incredibly really? like, Oh my goodness. He was, he, he was intentionally choosing girls on Tinder that he thought were beneath him in his mind Wow! and then trying to pressure them for sex. And when they wouldn't do it on the night, uh, like when they wouldn't come around to his house that night, he would call them whores and sluts and fat and, and, and shame them and essentially be like, you are a lesser person in life and wow. you know that. And he ended up, a bunch of girls, this is a really powerful story, a bunch of girls shared it online. It took off uh, because social media people um, like Nadia Batogi, uh, I think that's how you say her name. Sorry, Nadia, if it's not. Um, and also uh, Clementine Ford uh, shared it. He ended up getting sacked from his job. Which yeah. he should. Good. I'm glad. I'm happy to hear stories like that. 
I think that that's a, I think that that is um, definitely a great outcome and a great real solution um, through sharing and allowing these people to experience the shame that they deserve. I'm not sure. Do you know? I, I know that we're in different states, but I don't know what the laws are about insulting somebody online. I'm not sure if an insult is necessarily breaking a law. I know that threatening sexual violence is 100% breaking the law. Um, but I think that, yeah, when we are talking about gray areas potentially of the law uh, where police maybe aren't able to get involved, Sharing it and, and allowing the world to just have a little bit of backlash and a little bit of karma, I think, is a wonderful way of responding. And, you know, let these fuckwits lose their jobs. Let them well, be kicked that, off their local footy teams and let them yeah. lose their friends over it. I, I love that as a result. You're taking away their power. And that's the biggest thing because the, for them, in their mind, the power comes from the anonymity. That in yeah. their mind, they're like, only you are seeing this. So I'm subjecting you to that, which is a real that's a, a very aggressive standpoint to have. So if you take away that anonymity and show that this is a real world situation and you would never, ever say that to me in a pub in front of people. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a lesson that we're all learning. We're all in a new age. This is, I think probably if you look back at the end of the uh, 18th century going into the early 19th century, that was the industrial revolution. I think this time will be known as the, you know, the technology revolution, the internet revolution. And, and we're all learning the rules. I mean, there's a, there's a case, uh, the other side of that in court at the moment involving a, a young Bronco called Katoni Staggs. Uh, and uh, he had a sex tape. Bronco being a, a, play, a guy who plays for the Broncos, just yeah, if you're not, not a an real person. He's uh, not a horse. <laughs> young horse. For um, anyone from Victoria who doesn't although, follow. Apparently, downstairs. Very similar. Okay. Okay, um, go on, what's your point? I'm just saying, he's going through the courts at the moment because a woman released a sex tape of him and her as a way of trying to blackmail him or shame him. Uh, and they've, they've worked out that this woman did this and they're literally taking her through the courts uh, and she's facing potential um, uh, criminal time. So I think it's, real, it's about education at a young age as well. It's about working out at a young age uh, and letting people know that the internet is still the real world. It might feel like yeah. a fantasy world, but there's real world outcomes to what you do online. I think that that's a great point. And I think that education is a really, is so needed in this area. Um, because I think that a lot of this is, I mean, like we saw the study is from 15 year olds. So these are messages going to children. Um, and a lot of them are probably coming from children. I don't think that there are adults. Well, look, there probably are, but I think that a lot of the people that are 15 year old, uh, deals with would be other kids. So yeah, I think the the earlier we can start having those conversations, the better. I, I completely be, agree. Yeah, part and parcel now with sexual education. Uh, uh, it should be online education and educating kids as to the to, to, to the fact that it is a real world with real world consequences. That's mm. the number one thing. Story number three, a promise for someone else to keep. Nick, last week, more than 70 countries agreed to the target of zero emissions by the year of 2050. ScoMo, our wonderful leader, refused to agree to that target and said instead that we would hit zero emissions by the end of the century, which is a long time away. And my guess is he will not be uh, prime minister nor alive by that point. Um, this week, this story has kind of continued because this week the budget actually came out and um, I'm sure you would have watched the budget. You're much more financially and economically minded than I am, Nick, mm. there was no additional funding to the renewable energy industries. So <laughs> there was funding, but there are no additional, there was nothing new, nothing was added to it. And in some areas, the funding had actually decreased from the last year. Mm. Nick, do we just give up on globe? Does Australia just give up and just go, it's not, we're not going to be a part of it. Like what, what is going on here? No. Well, we can't continue to be the world's dirty little secret because there'll be the, the Alan Joneses of the world and the people on Sky News will trot out all these facts around Australia's or the use of fossil fuels within our country. And I want you, if you're ever in an argument, if you're ever looking at this stuff online, I want you to ignore those things completely because it isn't what we use in this country. It's what we export overseas. And, and we are primary exporters of fossil fuels to most Southeast Asian countries and, and countries all over the world. And that's where it gets really great because we're creating the shit that they're using. 
it's yeah. not like it's not like we're using a heap of heroin in Australia, but we are creating heroin and sending it overseas like crazy. We're and just the best like, damn dealers on this side of the equator. Exactly right. And that's that's more the way we need to look at it. There is a multitude of ways we can look into renewable energy. And even I, I am I am actually in the camp of uh, being pro-nuclear energy as well to an extent. Yeah. Um, and even pro us storing nuclear waste from other countries, which is which is a bit of a gray area, but there's a lot of money to be made in that because we have so much landmass that's unusable and in, uninhabitable. Um, we can't give up on it. We can't afford to give up on it. This is our future and we cannot... We cannot be the laughing stock of the rest of the world when it comes to this because there are, because we are also being affected the worst. Mm. Like it went through the worst fire season. These are our uh, it's our ecosystem that's getting destroyed. the The barrier reef alone is an eighty billion no eight hundred billion dollar industry to Australia that we are just killing, and we're saying goodbye to that money. So what we need to Australia traditionally uh, has gone through some phases economically. That you might have heard uh, your parents use the term Australia rode the sheep's back for a long time. And that was to do oh, yeah. with uh, cattle export and agribusiness through uh, basically most of last century. Somewhere along the line there, we got involved in exporting fossil fuels. Uh, and we turned out we were really good at it. And there's heaps of them here in Australia. So people were keen to buy it because they see it as clean energy as well, too, and cleaner than other fossil fuels you can get. Um, but the problem is, as a country, we have always relied on vertic- uh, sorry, horizontally integrated business solutions. So we just get your, we get your raw fossil fuels and your raw sources and we just fuck them off overseas. What we need to do at the very least is start to manufacture those into something before we do that. But what I would much rather see us do is, A, potentially fix up the NBN and move towards being a more technologically savvy country and and investing more in our digital presence and and our children getting involved in that. But B, why not become a giant fucking wind source for all of the world? And also, let's slap down some solar panels in the middle of Australia. And Where let's there's also, literally nothing going on, yeah. Exactly. And let's also harness the huge southern swells that are entirely uninterrupted from Antarctica that hit the entire south coast of Australia because there is, there is great case studies specifically in Japan around harnessing all of these forms of energy and we just continue to ignore them because we are pillared by News Corp and we are also pillared by the major fossil fuel companies and they pour money into this country and pour money specifically into political donations. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought News Corp up actually because I think that that's a big part of the story and that's actually a big part of the reason why I wanted to bring this story to the podcast this week because it's not just a story of us not getting involved with the rest of the countries and doing our part um, when it comes to our emissions and our... uh, our place on the renewable energy table. The other part of the story that I find really interesting is that there is a huge media spin and bias when it comes to our involvement in those things. And I think that if you ask the average Australian how Australia goes on a global scale, the majority of people think that we do really well. And we that's just plastic bags, man. We don't we, we, lots of pubs have metal straws now. Come on. Yeah. It's so funny that uh, for some reason in this country, we have done an incredible job at publicizing um, the treaties that we've signed up to, but we don't publicize how we go when it comes to following those treaties up. Uh, for example, like the in 2016, when Malcolm Turnbull signed on to the Paris Climate Agreement, that was the COP21. Yeah. And then um, in 2017, when all of the countries were graded on that, so like that made the that made world news. That was us and basically all the other UN countries. Um, in 2017, when we were graded on our progress, and all of the different countries were given a score, it was very much like grade three maths. Every country was given A, B, C, and it went like that. We were the only country that got an F. Like literally, we came last of the entire UN. We were the only country that had signed the accord and had not done anything. And now, I mean, you know, it's four years down the track and we're still doing the least of any of the countries that are involved. It's very weird that there's this growing gap between the perception of Australia's involvement and what we're actually doing. One thing I would add to that, though, is 
you know, we might be doing perception well, but how how well are the other countries in the UN doing? Where there, where a lot of those protocols are based around what you produce in your country, and right. they're not okay. producing it, but they sure love buying a lot of Australia's raw resources. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, so if if it's based on what you produce, Australia is always going to fail because we sell to the rest of the world. The rest of the world could choose not to buy it. That's just a flip side. And I would love to see, and I'm only saying that because I'd love to see the rest of the world bail us out from the shit show that is our governance when it comes to fossil fuels. I mean, you got people like Craig Kelly, who is a liberal um, MP, going on UK TV and telling weather people they're dickheads <laughs> because, they, because over in um, the United Kingdom, they're very adamant that there was a relationship between our fires and our 10-year drought and the fact that we're fucking our land every single day. <laughs> like, it's just bizarre. But it, look, what are you going to do when one, one single news source owns basically every newspaper in this country? Mm. And the majority of people over the age of 60 get their information from newspapers. I mean, there's an election going on in Queensland at the moment. And it is actually literally, I just to just as an example to show to my fiance Jazz the other day, I picked up the Courier Mail, which is our Queensland newspaper. There was four negative stories about the Australian Labor Party on the first four pages. And there was three more on the back three pages. And, wow. and on each of those pages, there was a pro-Liberal Party uh, story. Even though the Liberal Party has absolutely no power in this state and hasn't had any power in this state since oh. they sacked 16,000 uh, health workers at the last time they were in power. Like, it's just, um, we're always going to have problems in this country when we only have one source of news that the majority of elderly people in this country are going to go to because they, they still want to imagine that we live in this very simple world where Australia is great at everything and we are yeah. the lucky country. But the only way we're going to continue to be the lucky country is if we look to the future and try to future-proof ourselves as a nation. And we've never done that economically. We've never, ever done that. The majority of our produce is third-world produce. We, we just happen to be very fortunate that we are a first-world nation and have been able to capitalise and overcapitalize on it so dramatically. It's it's also interesting that there's this huge divide between the idea of being green and renewable and being financially prosperous. And and I think that that's something that um, organizations like News Corp do incredibly mm. well, because people say, well, if you want to spend all this money and be a greenie, or you can put your suit and tie on and come to work with us and we can make some real money. And, <laughs> and in actual fact, uh, you know, continuing to invest in fossil fuels is like the least financially viable option because I know that you said that a lot of people are buying these fossil fuels, but the cost of fossil fuels is going up because there's less and less of them. The number of countries buying them is going down. Uh, you know, we are investing heavily in an industry that is falling apart rapidly. And but we're turning we're doing it in a sorry, just quickly, we're doing it in an incorrect manner because we don't own any of those companies. Adani is not an Australian owned company. None of no, barely any of them are, yeah, barely any of them. Oh, and India will not have them in that country because they are <laughs> so immoral in how they work ethically. Yeah. But what I would say is if you're ever on the fence around mining or on the fence around coal. Go ask an everyday person in Gladstone if having a coal mine in your town is a positive thing. And they will irrefutably tell you that it completely fucks their small economy. Really? Because, well, as a town, if you think about it, if a mine pops up near your town, that mine will have a lease period of, say, five to ten years uh, where they're allowed to mine that area. And during that period of time, you get an influx of tradespeople who are earning well above average income. They're, the they're, yeah, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year. All of a sudden, they want to bring their families there because they're sick of doing FIFO work and fly in and fly out and not seeing their families for two weeks. So they go in and buy all the houses, which in turn jacks up the housing costs of the uh, places in those towns and dramatically wow. overinflates it. So all the locals go, "Oh shit." I'm going to sell my house because I paid $137,000 for it and it's currently valued at 700. So they go sell it and they rent for a little bit or they hang around the area or they hold on to their house and remortgage. They go, shit, yeah, I've got $600,000 worth of equity that I'm going to tap into and buy all these investment properties. The second the mine leaves the town, that all falls through the floor. Like I have oh friends um, from Gladstone and that's exactly what they did. The housing market boomed. They're like, oh, this is all fantastic. I'm going to uh, remortgage. I'm going to 
use equity, to buy investment properties, to buy new cars, to do all this shit. The mine's closed. He now is having to foreclose on two houses because he can't afford to pay his mortgage because of how dramatically uh, these small little micro socioeconomic situations occur around these mines. It's just, they're just a travesty and you're 100% correct. There's better ways to earn money in this country. I've never heard that be broken down like that. That's I've never thought about the micro economy. And it's so interesting because we hear over and over ScoMo saying jobs, 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 you know, the mines employ people, but I've never actually looked at the impact that a mine has on a small town like that. So that's really interesting for me to hear. Well, it's not even going into the, you know, uh, mental health issues around mine sites. And if you want to talk about sexual abuse, like I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers and, uh, you know, everything's alleged. These aren't nice places to work. They're places where you've got a whole bunch of men and some women crammed into small dongers, which are essentially shipping containers that act as houses for two week periods. And they're earning, uh, you know, NRL player money professional athlete money and then they go just fuck away their money for two weeks it is jobs 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 on a huge economic scale for five years and then you have to find another mine somewhere else that's it but it, fu- it, yeah. it on, a, on a human level it fucks everything I would love to see, you brought it up earlier and you spoke about the uh, renewable resources that Australia has. And I would love to see us one day finally get our heads around the fact that we have a fucking gold mine, literally Mm. in our ocean, in the sunlight that is pouring down across literally millions of hectares that are sitting there unused. Uh, We have all of these winds blowing across these huge areas that we could be erecting different structures that could um, capture and and turn turn this energy into some type of renewable power that we could then start exporting. Um, something in the documentary, the, the David Attenborough documentary, um, was they look at Morocco and they said that uh, Morocco, which a lot of people, I mean, it's it's definitely not like a booming first world country. Um, Morocco now has one of the biggest solar farms. And uh, they get 40% of their energy from the sun and they are looking at being able to start going to 100 and then exporting energy to surrounding countries. And I looked it up out of interest and Morocco is one seventeenth of the size of Australia. So Some of the best hash in the world as well. Don't know if it's related. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the relationship. You won't leave for a week. <laughs> All right. I reckon we wrap it up there. Nick, thanks for breaking down the top stories of the week with me. That was fun. Uh, Always a pleasure, man. Love you. I'll see see you next week. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you are still hanging out with us, we have a Facebook group. It's called Off Air. Jump in. Let us know what you think of any of the stories. We love to engage and uh, hear your thoughts. Uh, Plus, you can get a little sneak peek on stories that are coming up. We'll catch you next week. Bye.